catches it. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to another episode of That Sums It All Up. How are you? I hope you're well. I know for a fact that you're well, if you're an Arsenal fan. What a few weeks it's been. Following the North London derby win a couple of Sundays ago, there was an unbelievable evening at the Emirates Stadium this Sunday evening as Arsenal beat Manchester United 3-2 to remain top of the table, five points clear of Manchester City, and it was just... Having witnessed it myself, live in the flesh was quite the evening to behold. As I said, I was there, Johnny was there, so we're going to talk about the match day experience, the football, the result, the reaction, and all sorts more on today's show. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Here with me, of course, is Johnny. Johnny, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit worried because uh, my defence is in trouble <laughs> and is in the room. That is the first time I will make that joke, but can't get that song out of my head as I was as I was saying to you before we started recording. I'm very well. I am very much in the uh, starting to believe, well, firmly believing camp. Um, as I, I I think you are as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm believing that we're in a title race now. I'm. I'm fully behind it. I, I'm. I I don't know. I still I'm not thinking like, oh my god, we're gonna win the league, but I guess that's part and parcel of being in a title race. You kind of flip between we're gonna do it, we're gonna not gonna do it. Cause it wouldn't be really be a title race if we were just running away with that, which I think most Arsenal fans kind of want to be happening just because we're not used to this sort of level of tension. But yeah, no, I'm definitely as the as the games go by, the wins keep on coming, I'm definitely moving towards being more convinced that Arsenal have a serious chance of winning their first league title since 2004, uh, the Invincible season, which is kind of crazy to think. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it is mind-blowing. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? And I think Sunday evening at the Emirates showed just how exhilarating everything that's going on at the moment is. The atmosphere, the... The football that was played, the way in which the match unfolded, the response to the crowd, the connection between the players and the crowd and the manager. Everything seems to be coming together in quite a, I mean, a very emotional way, but in a way that I think now the wider media is recognising as, well, this is kind of the traditional marks of champions. And I think let's start by talking about how brilliant a game this was. I mean, how lucky were we to be there and, and breathe that in? Because I think that was one of, I mean, definitely, you know, I've been to a few games this season, definitely the best game I've been to this season. And for a long time, I think, I don't think I've experienced that live in the flesh kind of jeopardy. I know there were the Spurs and Liverpool games earlier in the season, which were sort of similar. But what is your experience having been to quite a few home games for a while now? How, where does that rank? Yeah, that that for me... Sunday, I think the culmination of it being a Sunday evening under the lights by by the time Eddie got his his second, um, that will go down whether we win the league or not as one of the all-time 
great Emirates moments, in my opinion, the, which, you know, there's been some really good talk on on sort of the, the really mainstream Arsenal pods, primarily sort of Ask Blog and well, Ask Cast and, and, you know, a few others, Handbrake Off. And James sort of said, McNicholas was saying how, you know, Wenger built the Emirates Stadium and Arteta's turned the lights on. And it's, it, you know, I can count on one hand probably moments. And I've been to, no, I've not been to every game in the Emirates by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been to, I would say, the majority, definitely a lot before before uh, Wenger left. And then obviously while we were at university, I went to a fair, fair few less. And fortunately, we didn't do anything in that time, so I didn't really miss out. But there were, there were a few standout moments. I think the classics everyone mentions, Henri, his return goal against Leeds, uh, Henri's last-minute header also against Manchester United. Um, Arshavin's goal against Barcelona. I was I was at the Emirates for all of those, and Sunday was was up there with 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 all of them. Spurs earlier this season was amazing. Liverpool earlier this season was amazing, but they they weren't stratospheric. Um, like like Sunday was Sunday was was on a whole nother level of of emotion of of atmosphere pre-game of belief post-game it was yeah it was such a strange well for me just to, to personalize it for a second it was it was really sort of strange. Pre-game was amazing. And then I'm really thinking when Eddie scored, I was convinced. My dad and I were sitting next to each other and we were both convinced that Eddie was offside. So we didn't really celebrate. We sort of yeah. stood up and stopped ourselves from celebrating. And then really went mental, not even when the VAR check was confirmed, though we did celebrate a lot, but it was really at full time. Time. And yeah, I know from listening to Handbrake Off how Ian Stone, who usually hosts that podcast, said that it was the closest thing he'd had to a religious experience. It was, yeah, it was something that I, I've not experienced that since when did we beat Barcelona? 2011. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. 2010 maybe even 2010 11 Henri was 2012 over a decade since the Emirates has been like that in my opinion I think it was amazing yeah I think to draw comparisons to these other kind of moments that we've had at the Emirates is a really useful comparison to make because we have had moments there have been big statement wins against Manchester United you know you think back to the the three nil I think must have been about five or six years ago now when Alexis Sanchez scored an early double. Meza Ozil scored. We kind of blitzed them away. There were big victories against Liverpool. We've obviously had the North London derby victories, a couple of 5-2s. Yeah. We've beaten, beaten some big sides at the Emirates. But I think why Sunday's victory against Manchester United was or felt so special and was so special is because we've been turning in performances and getting results like that on a consistent basis this season. So it's not just a moment, it's a kind of culmination 
of moments that have been building up to produce this kind of electric atmosphere that it we know isn't just going to kind of uh, dissipate into into nothing i think for for it, quite a long time it's it's not been like that and it's a season it's a, it's a see that's what it is it's we're having a season not a moment mm, yeah and i think the spurs game was brilliant but mm. north london derbies are always brilliant then we have the liverpool game which again was on a sunday evening we hadn't beaten them for a long time it there was a kind of late winner there was a bit of drama in that game and then we have this again quite similar we went behind took the lead got pegged back late winner you know the the kind of drama the intensity the emotion in this game itself on top of what we've been doing this season so far on top of disappointment that ended last season and the years of of barren nothingness i suppose you'd say stagnation and and decline really and it really feels like the club under Mikel Arteta, under those who are in power, are making great strides to facilitate, you know, the 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 re the revival, I suppose, of, of Arsenal Football Club in a way that we're experiencing and feeling like, God, well, how special is this? Because we in our lifetimes, we've sort of known success, but moderate success. And I guess our time followed arguably Arsenal's most successful period in its history but we're sort of a bit too young to remember that and I think a lot of the Emirates crowd these days you know there is a younger kind of presence in the ground who align and and relate to the players that we've got on the pitch more to the mat to the young manager whose energy is something we'll talk about as well but yeah I thought it was really uh really telling that I think it was on the Arsenal Vision podcast that that Clive said that he was talking to some of his friends who have been at Highbury for uh, went to Highbury for years and years and Clive I think said it himself he's never known an atmosphere at an Arsenal game quite like this and mm. Highbury had some special moments of course so I think yeah to go back to that that quote from James McNicholas which I think was brilliant from the mm. Ars cast Arsene Wenger built the Emirates and Mikel Arteta's turned the lights on I think that is also such a big reason why there's such emotion and and uh, passion at the moment because we've been waiting for this kind of competitive team who performs like this, who wins the big games, who who play with with passion and and the crowd get behind. And I think that was a really really useful kind of line that sums up not where we are at the moment because it's kind of stepping back a bit and looking at it overall but i think it's really important to to recognize that that kind of stuff the the process the journey and the the kind of waiting for the arrival of something proper and substantial and consistent is is definitely contributing towards all the good feeling at the moment but look i'm sure we'll get into a bit more of that towards uh, as we go in the podcast let's let's take it take it back to the beginning we're going to go through the whole match day experience relive it because why not it was a brilliant day i as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago i was pretty confident going into the north london derby i didn't feel as confident going into this game because manchester united i think are a better side than tottenham at the moment 
Marcus Rashford has been in brilliant form and I feared, I suppose, his his threat and their capacity to kind of set up and hit us where it hurts. But I, I, I saw a few people for the game and they said, look, I'm pretty confident. And the stadium seemed pretty confident when we arrived. I don't know what your um I don't know what your pre-game thoughts were. Yeah, I think I mean, we obviously spoke or we recorded before the North London derby. And I think we're we've sort of been yeah, converse to each other in, in our in our attitudes or our pre-match feelings in those two games because I was quite confident going into this game. I was definitely more confident going into this game than I was the North London Derby. Um, albeit I would agree with you and say United are a better team than Spurs. Although I'm not sure I think they actually have better individual players. I just think that Ten Hag's got them playing as a better team, but that's a separate conversation. Um, but I value, I value home advantage a lot. And so I thought, and I was actively sort of saying, I was speaking to a few United fans. My uncle is a is a United fan. And I, I was saying quite confident, confidently, I, yeah, I think we will win. I predict we will win this game. Uh, even when we went 1-0 down, I still thought we would win. Uh, and yeah, I think the Emirates has really... You know, it's turned into a bit of a fortress, not only this season, but you know, towards the end of last season, we've not actually lost at the Emirates since Brighton beat us uh, uh, towards the end of last season in the league. That was, I think that was in April or, yeah, that was in April, I think, 2022. So, you know, coming on to... Well, it'll be at least ten months by the time we play our next home game in the league, which is in February. And I, yeah, I had confidence that that at home, with the team playing like we are, we would we would get past them. I didn't necessarily think it would be in such dramatic circumstances. I I thought it would probably be slightly more comfortable. Although I did see them scoring. Um. But but yeah, those those were my thoughts. And then pre, I mean, what time did you get to the stadium? I, I we sort of got there at half an hour or so before kickoff. I don't know how you, where where were you sit, sitting? How was the atmosphere where you were? Because it was it was pretty lively where I was. Yeah, I got to the I got to the ground similar time, probably about half. Uh, no, sorry, four o'clock, ten past four, kickoff four thirty. Obviously, I think I was bang opposite you. I was in the upper tier, but on the other side of the stadium. So again, the the atmosphere was was crackling pre-game. You saw all the flags being being hoisted around. Uh there was there was this kind of electricity running through the stadium. You could tell that everyone was just really excited. And also had the clappers. The, the clappers as well, which which made a little little bit of noise. And I think I was not surprised, I suppose, but I noticed that. You know, there were no empty seats come five minutes before the game. Everything was full, which is strange because normally it takes a while to fill up. And then when North London Forever came on, the new anthem, that was a serious goosebumps moment. And having watched it back when Arsenal were in the huddle on the Sky Sports coverage, I mean, that was really special as well. And I just think that everyone felt so together at that point. Everyone was so excited. And at that point, I did think, look, I'm I'm feeling confident. As you say, the home advantage really kicks in. You understand that 
there's a reason we've been playing so well at home. The players have gone on record frequently saying how much benefit they they get from from the fans' energy and support. So we started the game kind of quite well. On, and on that, on that quickly. Sorry, I was just thinking about what you were saying. And anecdotally, as you'll know, where I sit is near where some of the TV cameras and, and the gantries are. And sort of had the fortune of Lee Dixon and Freddie Lundberg being um, about a metre and a half to two metres away from me for the game. And the contrast in in their two sort of pre-game warm-ups was very funny because Lee Dixon, when North London Forever was on, almost stood up out of his seat and started singing along with the rest of the Arsenal fans. Really, that's brilliant. And, and in general, is very cordial. He's always there before most people. And he's sort of now, if you sit around where we sit, a fair familiar face and will recognise you and is always up for a pre-game chat. Freddie, in contrast, and it was very cold, so this contributed to it, sort of was in incognito mode when he got to his seat and only turned around a few minutes before kickoff when about the row I sit on and the dozen or so rows around me just started chanting, we love you, Freddie, because you've got <laughs> red hair for him for about 60 seconds, to which he did then turn around and give a few waves um, before putting like his beanie and his scarf and his three jackets back on and getting on with whatever commentary or analysis he was doing, but it was uh, it was great to see them there. And I, as far as I'm aware, there were a lot of Arsenal legends uh, in the stadium for last night for for Sunday's game. Yeah, I think I saw a, an interview that Freddie Youngberg did with Bukayo Saka before the game, which was a really lovely thing because obviously Freddie coached Saka in the under twenty ones, I think it was, or maybe yeah, it was the under twenty ones, and they obviously have a very nice relationship. And yeah, I, I I saw somewhere after the game as well, you know, obviously Sask was on the Sky Sports coverage. He was talking in glowing terms about everything that was done. He said that he'd been back to the training ground recently, which is a really nice, a really nice, uh, really nice image to conjure in your mind because all these kind of former players, these great players are being attracted towards what this team are doing. They want to come to the stadium. Thierry was there again. And I saw Romeo Beckham was there with David Beckham, obviously as an Arsenal fan, and and uh, his poor dad David wasn't too happy at the result. But Rizicki was there as well. I saw that Thomas Rizicki. Yeah, Mozart. that was another one. Yeah. So I think again, everyone wants to come and be part of this. And look, that oh, well, and another person who was there as well before we get into the actual game itself was uh, our new signing. He hadn't been signed at that point, but Jacob Iviar. Uh, the Polish 22-year-old centre-back signed for about 20 million euros from Spezia in Italy. He was watching on, which is, uh, maybe we'll have a, a word about that later on. And I guess the, the last thing to mention before going into the game is that City had just played Wolves and Erling Haaland had got a hat-trick and they'd won 3-0. So going into the game, albeit we'd played two games less than them, as it stood, we were only two points ahead of them. So... We weren't unfamiliar to this, though, in, in, uh, given that that's happened quite a few times in the season they played before us. So, pressure, excitement, passion, 
And I think we started really well. We got a couple early corners. Mm. But I guess the first half was when you when you look at it as a whole, I think was was relatively I kind of want to say even because I think they obviously went one nil up and we'll talk about that goal. But I remember turning to my friend Lucy, who who very kindly brought me to the game. And she and I said to her, I was like, God, I'm I'm kind of not used to Arsenal sitting back and United having the ball. They weren't really threatening, but they had the ball for quite a long, long periods. Yeah. And there was a sloppiness to our game. Mm. We were giving balls away. I think Ben White, and we'll talk about him, didn't look comfortable, was yeah. having a tough time against Marcus Rashford. Thomas Partey, like he did against Spurs, had a slow start to the game, was giving balls away. Gabriel Martinelli, whose form has been he hasn't been bad or anything like that. He's he's still been very effective, but I think the kind of one-dimensional side to his game was was really laid clear in that first half. I think he was giving balls away. He was kind of quite frantic and manic in his approach. Sort of old old school Martinelli. What did you make of the start? And then I guess give your response to the to the opening goal scored by Marcus Rashford. Uh, it's, yeah, I would agree. I, I thought exactly that. I thought if you if you looked at this half probably on paper and you didn't watch any of it, uh, you would think, well, Arsenal probably dominated that because we I think they had one or two shots and we yeah, they had one or two corners. And as you say, we had a fair few more and obviously it was 1-1 at half time. But that's not how it felt. And I do think in possession, we were we were sloppy. I remember reading, I think it was Ben White, Thomas Party, and one other player, maybe it was Zinchenko, but I can't remember off the top of my head, all had a pass completion percent, percentage rate of under 75% in the first half, which is low. It's very low, especially for defenders. And um, and yeah, we, we, we definitely had like the territory and the chances in the first 15, 20 minutes, even though they went 1-0 up. But it was that, when it was back to 1-1, I thought was where actually they were at their most dangerous. And there were multiple occasions in that first half where they sort of progressed entirely up the pitch. Their back four were sort of, at the end of our half, and they were just rotating the ball quite nicely, uh, putting together some passing patterns. They weren't necessarily breaking through lines um, in the way that we do. They weren't direct, but they were just stringing together a few a few passing patterns, putting some rotations together. Um, and we were allowing them to do that. We weren't nicking it back from them. They were having spells on the ball, a minute, two minutes, three minutes here and there. We were having to keep our shape, be compact, screen over left to right, ensure that there were no holes. It's not something we've had to do a lot this season. And it was it was a good test for us because ultimately we did pass it. But yeah, I would agree. You know, at halftime, or even before halftime, I turned and I said to my my dad and my uncle, who I sit next to, I said, definitely I would do Tommy Asu for Ben White at halftime. I think I texted you that as well. The second he was booked, you sort of saw, could tell that this was this was a race that he, he he couldn't really run. And and Rashford, I mean, just I I don't know if we'll speak about it in depth, but just to take a second or two to acknowledge that he's an absolutely fantastic footballer and and human being by all accounts. And sometimes when an opposition player 
in the in the vein of form that he's in scores the type of goal that he scored against you there's very little you can do but just to accept it as an unbelievable goal and um and to move on and do your best to respond which i think we did really well and and the equalizer came six minutes later it's the shortest amount of time we've been behind so far this season the longest incidentally was 26 minutes and so yeah it was it was a very positive response i thought it was a great equalizer great move uh, which starts actually with Martinelli pressing Wambasaki in possession, which leads to a corner, which is taken shortly, then gets rotated round. Zinchenko plays in Jack on the overlap, who crosses to uh, Eddie, who catches again Wambasaki napping at the far post. But it was a nervy first half. I mean, it, well, yeah, I don't know if, if what I'm saying sort of rings true to you, but that that was my perception. Yeah, definitely. I think. Marcus Rashford's goal left the Emirates a bit stunned. I don't I didn't an- anticipate us going behind early. If anything, I thought, you know, given the the strong starts we tend to make, I thought we'd go ahead. So going behind a little bit of oh, I was worried about this crept in and there was a tiny little silence, but the crowd kind of responded in the way that ha- they have been throughout this season with with loud cheers and applause and kind of gritty determination to get back into the game. I agree when a player like that looks so good and has been playing so well he has the ability to do those kind of things and you kind of knew as soon as he hit it that it was in it was such a clean strike so powerful he looked really dangerous on that left hand side and I think Ben White was having a bit of an off day I think he was clearly nervous uh, early on from the prospect of, of facing Rashford who got in behind quite a few times down that side and Ben White, who's normally so front-footed but composed and reads the game well, I think was at six and se- sixes and sevens. He he was diving in, he was giving balls away, and he got books for a very cynical foul. And mm. I think, yeah, it was it was the right call to, to take him off at half time. But the equaliser came, as you said, from a really well-worked corner routine, brilliant cross from Xhaka. And Eddie alive in the box to to nod home, which was which was great. And I think responding like that again kind of took me by surprise when it shouldn't because we respond really well to setbacks this season. The only other thing that I want to talk about in that first half was, I think it happened in the first half. It was Mikel Arteta's yellow card, who <laughs> he got booked for remonstrating slightly madly on the sidelines for a foul on Bukayo Saka, I think, from Luke Shaw. And then was stressing that it had been several occasions that he'd been fouled and nothing was done about it. So the referee took caution and booked Arteta. Now, I mean, there's been chatter about this on on other podcasts and lots written about it over the last few weeks. And I think that says something in itself. But look, I like Arteta's energy on the on the sidelines. I think every Arsenal fan would say that. I think obviously don't get booked and don't get sent off. That's when you take it too far. But I think normally he manages to navigate the line quite well, albeit not the actual technical area line. He's never in that. But I think all this kind of rubbish about he needs to be more mature and so show some more control, I just don't have really time for it because I think the people writing those things 
aren't engaged with what's going on and the energy that Mikel Arteta is creating a lot of the time in this in this stadium. And I also think his attitude, his demeanor, the amount of media exposure and attention it, it it gains, I actually think might be something really clever that Arteta is is picking up on the fact that all the attention is almost on him and the press, the media kind of criticizing him, saying this, that and the other, when actually that's probably what he'd prefer. He'd prefer to have <laughs> the media focusing on his behavior on the touchline as opposed to scrutinizing Arsenal's likelihood of of winning the title. And I know there's been a lot more of that recently, but I think as long as a bit of the attention is going to a Mikel Arteta, I think that's absolutely fine. And I think he'll be more than happy to take a lot of the so-called flack and sort of shield mm-hmm. his team from any criticism because he's the bad guy in, in the media's eyes and his team are sort of, they're, they're quite popular at the moment. So look, second half, let's get into it. Change, Ben White hooked after getting the yellow card. Takahiro Tomiyasu on, which I think, again, just emphasises the different kind of squad that we have this season. You think last season, if Tomiyasu is playing in that first half gets booked, then what do you do? You bring on Cedric Suarez, who is closing in on a loan move to Fulham, and they're going to pay his £100,000 weekly salary for us, which is very kind of them. You're going to miss him. You're probably devastated. And I think, honestly, the players will miss him too, because he is one of those kind of leader leader figures. And I think he wasn't 100% sure whether he wanted to go, but I think actually in the end, needing to play was was the biggest motivating factor for him. So fair enough to him. Yeah, testament to the character he is. I think he's an incredibly undervalued player off the pitch for us. Incredibly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not even like, it's sort of started off, this is a bit of a joke, but it's developed into a like, he will go down as one of my like cult Arsenal heroes up there with Yoti Ben Ayun, who's probably number one. Um, Cedric is definitely in the top five. His goal on his debut against Norwich from outside the box, his sort of fake misplaced cross come shot on the last day of the season against Everton. I love how we've just had our biggest win of the season and, and we're about to do a little interlude on, on Cedric's greatest moments in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> he will, I, I, you know, and I've said this before, but all of the players, when they're asked to pick who's the next obvious manager, they, they say Cedric. They said Cedric well, or Jack. By all means, he's a very professional guy. And I think if he can go to Fulham, who are doing very well and contribute, Mm. And I don't know, help Fulham keep clean sheets and score goals against Man City, I suppose. I don't know. I probably they still have to play each other once. So let's see if that can happen. But I think good luck to Fulham. They're putting together a sort of a, an Arsenal reunion with Leno, William, and now Cedric. So who's next? Rob Holding, perhaps. Maybe Nuno Tavares. Oh. Yeah, I mean, holding could be a good shout for them, especially if Tosin and Rabio leaves um, towards the end of this window, which which isn't completely out of the question. 
right let's 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 not let's not we're going to be losing all our all our thousands of listeners with with all of this chatter about cedric Mm. all right we've done that now right so i think we came out in the second half and it was really encouraging to see the way that we responded i think in general the second half was a lot of a lot more of a stronger showing than the first i think the players that i mentioned who had tough first halves. It, to be fair, Tomiyasu had a tough start to that second half, but he grew into it, sort of killed the threat of Rashford down the right, down down our right-hand side. And Partey upped his game. Martinelli was getting a bit more joy, or rather using the ball better against Wambasaka, realising that he probably didn't have the beating of him one by one, one-on-one, because who does? And Bukayo Saka... Got a lot. We, he got the ball a lot more on that right hand side, and really <laughs> took Luke Shaw to town. Absolutely killed, killed him, killed his friend. Uh, I think that he he was on record saying in the summer that he was closest to Luke Shaw in the England camp during the uh, during the World Cup. So I'm sure that would have been an interesting battle. But regardless of Shaw's knowledge of Saka's game, I think Saka was the kind of catalyst at the early part of that second half. And he scored the goal that kind of took us to that took us two one ahead. And what a goal it was. Something that I don't think we're we're sort of accustomed to from our from our wide men scoring kind of worldies. I mean, obviously they do, but not that kind of just right, I'm gonna fucking cut in, take a man on and just arrow it into the corner. And I think that was a really brilliant goal of course but such a big moment for a player who's becoming a big game big goal player and I think we're seeing more this season given his goal contributions I think that's what seven or eight goals I think eight goals seven assists or something like that this season or maybe seven goals eight assists he's Mm. turning into a bit of a killer and I think that is something that he has available to him because of how good he is of how he makes the opponents back off and I mean, the stadium erupted when that goal went in, didn't it? Definitely. I mean, me, I think it was his, you know, it was his best goal for Arsenal yet. I think actually, if you, if you go back and you look at his first ever goal for Arsenal, which was in the Europa League against Frankfurt in sort of the the autumn of 2019, it's eerily similar to that, which would suggest that Saka has always and would always have this type of finish in his locker. It's just when he's able to execute it or back himself to execute it and the other thing to add is he now also becomes the third Arsenal player along with Omri and Lundberg who we've already mentioned challenge accepted he said score in three consecutive games against United which is pretty impressive but yeah it was it was an amazing finish and an amazing goal when we went to one up at that point I didn't expect us to score again I thought well that's it we'll see this out 2-1 maybe 3-1 uh, obviously that that didn't happen and it was much tighter but in that what, moment there it was oh amazing euphoria yeah euphoric scenes definitely and I think everyone was so thrilled that it was him who'd scored that goal I mean they would have been thrilled whoever it was but he just took the ball and scythed through their defense and arrowed it past David De Gea but as you say we didn't really manage it very well after scoring that goal they got the uh, United got the ball straight away and Rashford had a chance down that 
down the left-hand side. Tommy Asu kind of fell to the floor, managed to wiggle through and then forced Ramsdale into a really, really good save, actually, from a deflected strike. We kind of forget that even though he wasn't that busy, that was a crucial moment. But from mm. the resulting corner, I think it was, uh, Ramsdale should have punched it clear and instead he tried to catch it. And then Tommy Asu, who <laughs> Ben White's gone on record saying that Tommy Asu has a massive head, but he couldn't get it out of the way. And, and Ramsdale kind of challenges his own player. And then, yeah, the ball falls to Lissandro Martinez. And he does really well, actually, to kind of navigate the flight of the ball and kind of loop it into the back of the net. But that was, again, another sucker punch, not holding on to our lead. And at that point, I was like, oh, God, like... And the and the silence after that goal went in was a bit longer than than it has been normally when we concede at the Emirates. And look, it was nervy. It was really nervy. And and of course the crowd did get behind the players and and roar them on in a way that we're accustomed to. But at that point, I was like, oh, you know, like don't go and don't go and lose this now. And I again, I said to Lucy, I said, if you can't win the game, don't lose it. Mm. But. I think that was more out of fear rather than realising that this is a team confident in their abilities to pen their opponents back and suffocate them with waves upon waves of varied attacking patterned play. And that was what happened pretty much for the rest of the half after that goal went in. I think we created chances. They were getting loads of blocks in blocking shots from really good opportunity really good positions that we were taking i think lissandro martinez had a really good game mainly uh varan as well down the middle they were getting their blocks in and i think at that point i wasn't sure whether we were going to get the goal i was obviously hoping i mean eddie had a really good chance to make it 3-2 before he actually did de gea sort of stuck a leg out and saved it you know either side in the corner you're thinking that that's a goal but I think maybe what changed the game not changed the game but but gave us that extra edge was was the debut of Leandro Trossard who came on with about what 15-20 minutes to go or something like that it definitely gave I think it gave the fans as much as anyone a real lift he came on it was later. It was much later. It was the 82nd minute he came on. I did not realise it was that late. 82nd, wow. So you got eight minutes plus five minutes extra time. But, I mean, testament to him, he came on and looked like he'd been playing for this team for a long time. He came on, yeah. he carried the ball. He played differently to Martinelli, which I think also really helped us. He he didn't take it down Wan-Bissaka's side. He kind of drove infield a bit more. And that gave us a really good variation of play whereby then Zinchenko could overlap. You know, even though Zinchenko, I think, on the day was sensational again, popping up all over the field. Yeah, Trossard came on, had some really nice touches, some really good breaks away from play and then delivered the pre-pre-assist for the winner. Yes. The pre-pre-assist because the ball was played out to him. No, sorry, he had the ball and then he played it out to Zinchenko who then cut it back. Erdegaard got contact, kind of similar to the West Ham game, I think, where it was a bit of a mishit and then Eddie was standing in an onside position to kind of flick it home. Brilliant reflexes and kind of natural goal-scoring instincts from him. 
And like you, I kind of went crazy. And then I noticed around me that the celebrations were a bit muted because there was chatter. Oh no, it looked like he was offside. And I was just, oh God, like I'm watching everyone celebrate, but I can't, I can't celebrate until I know. And there was a pretty long wait for the for the confirmation. And it turns out that they were checking Zinchenko, who was argue who was definitely closer to being offside than than Eddie was. But yeah. thank fuck. It was absolutely fine. Brilliant, brilliant moment when that was confirmed, kind of double celebration. And yeah, Trossard played a big part in that goal. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought Trossard, as I sort of said, gave everyone a lift when he came on. You know, just to touch on that signing a bit more generally, obviously broke throughout last week quite quickly to get it over the line in time for him to be registered to be in the squad on Sunday. I know... I think we exchanged a few messages. At the beginning, I was quite, I wouldn't say underwhelmed. I mean, you, you, you weren't convinced at all. I wasn't convinced, not by him. I think he's a very good player. I was less convinced by the profile. Mm. And what I mean is the last outfield player that we signed who was over the age of 25 was Thomas Party, And that was in October 2020. Uh, so it shows you actually how long it's been since we signed an outfield player over the age of 25 and the strategy, the very clear strategy, despite what Gary Neville will have you believe, that that our transfer policy has taken on. And I wasn't convinced that Trossard was the player worth breaking that strategy for. And, And I'm still not convinced. That's not to say that in the short term, I don't think he can add value. To the squad, I think it's very clear he's a very, very good footballer. Uh, as it happens, I think the way the deal has been structured, which is £21 million up front, a further, I think, five-ish million in add-ons, which I assume will be fairly achievable, uh, and a three-and-a-half-year contract isn't too bad. It does sort of give us minimal exposure. It means we're not going to be hanging on to him when he's sort of 32, 33. And he, look, he seems very pleased to be part of the squad. Why wouldn't you be? You've just come from Brighton who, you know, they are having a brilliant season, but he's joined one of the biggest clubs in the world. The likelihood is he will be playing Champions League football next season. He may be a Premier League winner come um come the end of this season but i think i you know he did obviously have a bit of a disciplinary issue with brighton towards the end of his time there although you know i wasn't there i don't know the full story i think what it I, I think the the messaging that has come across is that he decided after the world cup that he wanted to leave brighton and he didn't want to extend his contract yeah. and i think yeah. then with the new manager Roberto De Zerbi, who's obviously trying to, you know, lay his foundations and set the standards, I think that he obviously fell short of them. And and look, professional, non-professional, things happen when players don't want to be at football clubs. And obviously, as an Arsenal fan, we're open to taking the positive spin on the hypothetical, <laughs> the hypothetical reasons as to why they fell out. But I agree with you. I think Trossard doesn't fit the mold, but I think we've we've sort of really established the mould that signing him isn't going to break it. I think we've cleared out the squad to the point where you can add a a couple of experienced players here and there. 
And look, we know that it wasn't the initial plan. We we went for we went for Mudrick and we were gonna go all out. But when that he looked, he looked very good. Mudrick. He did look very good. I, I was very pleased that he didn't score because he came on and he looked electric. But look, like what do you do when you can't get that player for whatever reason? You think about the alternatives, someone who's affordable, available, experienced, versatile, can rotate with the left winger, probably the right winger, the central attacking midfielders, the for, the, the, the centre forward. We need options next year when we're playing for the in the Champions League. We haven't had people to bring off the bench of late to make an attacking contribution. And he did that against Manchester United. And I think it was so clear so quickly that, well, this makes, this makes a load of sense. As soon as he got on that pitch, and I think I'm... I'm very happy to kind of try and get behind it. I mean, to be fair, this is, you're talking to someone who was sort of saying the same things about Willian. I really wanted to believe that the club knew what they were doing and that was a mistake. But I think this one hopefully is kind of less risky. And I think now it's because at that point we weren't in a place where you could add a Willian on 200 grand a week. And now because of our young squad, because of the way we've structured the squad and the wage bill, you can afford to bring a 28-year-old who's just 28, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, has experience and is on a relatively low wage. You know, he's on 90 grand or something like that. So Yeah, no, I agree. It's not comparable to William at all. And I do think whoever your club signs, whether that's William or Martinelli, who are sort of the opposite end of the, the signing spectrum, um, you want to get behind them all initially. And and I think, and I am fully behind Trossard and actually as the week progressed and as I was reading more about him and I thought, I don't know if you saw Aaron Ramsdale, he was on a podcast or a YouTube video. Yeah, I'm, I'm due to watch that actually. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. He was basically comparing, really he was comparing Trossard to himself and saying, you know, when he signed for Arsenal, he wasn't, he was like, well, I'm here to be number one. He's not. And he was saying, we know Trossard's come in. He's not come in to play 20 minutes off the off the bench every week for the next five months. He's come in to, to be starting, whether that's ahead of Martinelli or Nketiah, or I don't think it will be Saka because but- he just doesn't on the right. And and so this he, he's a winner and, you know, he's a very good footballer. So I do, you know, I, I have come round on the signing and I am fully behind it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And also on Ramsdale's point, I suppose, you know, Trossard is slightly different just because of of the, of the different positions he could play. I mean, I'm sure Ramsdale could probably do you a job somewhere else, but <laughs> Trossard, look, he will obviously want to nail a nail down a place in that starting eleven. But the re- the, the the reality is that for the rest of this season and next season. We're going to have to kind of shift away from this idea that we're used to of having one starting eleven because there's too much football. We're not going to be able to start the same eleven in the Premier League and then the Champions League that we will qualify for next season. Um, and like likewise, this season when you've got Premier League games and then you've got Europa League, you've got FA Cup. If we if we progress past Manchester City, I'm sure Trossard will start against Manchester City as well. So he will definitely want to show he's good enough to be part of these kind of rotations that are necessary for, for good teams. 
uh, when they compete on on various fronts. And we know that Mikel Arteta is adamant that Arsenal will compete in every single competition and treat it with respect. And I think that's what we need, players who are up to the level, because there have been times where we've relied on players in the squad who cannot maybe make that step up. And I think Trossard is definitely one of those players who can. So, full-time, jubilant scenes, brilliant celebrations. Everyone stayed in the crowd for at least another 15 minutes. The players did a lovely lap around, cheering, clapping, fist-bumping, fist-bumping, fist-pumping, everything. It was really a thrilling thing to be part of. And that left us five points clear of City with the game in hand, 11 clear of United and Newcastle with the game in hand. 14 clear of Spurs. You look at Liverpool and Chelsea who are having tough seasons, but we've got almost double the points of them. And it's just, it's great to look at our kind of rivals over the last few years and look at how well we're doing and the pace that we're setting. And it was another three points, another big win. And I guess let's let's take it back to what we were talking about at the beginning of, of today's show of where we are on the do you believe Arsenal are going to win the title scale? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans are are kind of thinking in similar terms. You say you're getting more confident. Yeah, I think, I mean, what, what are the two ends of the scale? I, I think what, not believing at all and then putting your house on it. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of definitely in the middle, leaning towards the, the creeping towards the put your house on it side um although i still think if i was a betting man and i had to bet on someone to win the league i probably would bet on city just because i think they've got a better squad than us although it's very strange what's happening there and and the rumors of of discontent in their squad amongst Laporte and can i mean cancelo what has happened to cancelo it's it's almost unfathomable how how sort of poor he he's been I know he barely he he barely plays and he's one of, he was my first draft pick this season. It's a bit of a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we can we the, the less another, another time. <laughs> um, but he's yeah. I I think as we were saying in the beginning, I believe that we can win it now. Whereas I think up until this game, I've been hesitant to say. Uh, we, we can win the league. Now I think we have everything it takes to win the league. Um, I think we've got the mentality. I think we've got the depth just about. I think we've definitely got the firepower. We've got the structure, the spine, the resilience. We've got the ingredients. Um, they're there. It, it's whether we can sort of put it all together. Um, but you know, like game by game, it's a really interesting season because obviously we we're halfway through, but we've actually not played City twice, and we've also not played Everton twice, or I mean once for either of those sides, and we have got on United and Spurs out the way completely, which I guess is probably a net positive for us if you're comparing the first mm. half of the season to the second half, just because Everton are in complete disarray at the moment and and I would I would think we should be taking points off them home and away but um yeah I think I I think I agree with you I can't talk about the title too much it makes no. me too nervous no I think look I'm like you I I believe 
more and more that we can win it. Do I believe we will win it? Well, I think it's just still too early to say. Like it's half of the season gone. If we beat Man City, then yeah, maybe I'll start moving towards we will win it. And that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And that's a, you know, that's a big kind of game to see how how we're doing because we've still got two huge six pointers against them. Um so look, let's just, as you said, enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that we're believing in things like the title and challenging at the top of the table and playing brilliant football and consistently putting together brilliant runs of results and performances. So look, let's just enjoy the ride. Speaking of the ride. Next up is Manchester City in the FA Cup. So let's have a quick think about that before we finish up for today. Some Arsenal fans will say it's a really good opportunity to lay down a marker. And, you know, it's the kind of test match before the league showdown in a couple of weeks. Others will say, don't care, it's the FA Cup. Rotate, don't play anyone, keep them fresh. I think it's a probably a bit of a combination of the two. I think... You don't want to go to City and get battered, which can happen. They will probably rotate, knowing Guardiola. He's got a big squad. He needs to keep people happy. He tends to rotate in the cup anyway. But maybe because of what's happening this season, because of how they've been playing, and also because you know they've got a T, basically an eleven who's not playing well and an eleven who's playing decently. Maybe he just sticks with the one that that are playing decently because it's Arsenal. But I think. Also in our considerations has to be the fact that we don't play again for another until almost a week on. We've got a a full week in between the game in the FA Cup and then the league game against Everton. So we've, and then we obviously played United on Sunday. So we've almost got a week, a week in between our three games. So they're quite well spread and you don't necessarily just want to let the players kind of sit on the sidelines for two weeks and not play any minutes because then you kind of lack match freshness. So is it a case of sharing the minutes around a bit? There's obviously five subs. Who plays for you? Let, let's go through and and discuss discuss position by position just quickly. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with everything you were saying. I've given this some thought. I think if I was putting together an eleven, I would probably it would probably look something like Turner. I would I would lean towards rotation. So I just because I don't think we can afford an injury to a key player, but, but I would go sort of Turner, Tomiyasu. Uh, holding Kibior Tierney, which with and that's a strong back four. That's a really strong back four, by the way. Um, I think midfield is where it's interesting because Elneny's got what could be a very serious injury. Yeah, what is the? I, I haven't read the press conference notes yet, but I didn't even know he was injured. But Arteta seems yeah, to think yeah. it's it's worrying, and he's gone on record saying that he would he wouldn't mind having some midfield cover this January. Yeah. Yeah, that exactly well that's exactly what's happened and I think rumors are you know it could be a long one potentially a season ending injury I'm not sure. I don't think anyone at this stage really knows the full details. So it's then, you know, I don't think Sambi is capable of holding that six position. I would also quite like to rest party. Mm. It's a it's a tricky one. Could could Zinchenko step in and play in that midfield role? Could Ben White do it? I don't know. Do you drop Xhaka back? I think Xhaka has to start for me. Um, 
And then I think it's really the case of, well, if Xhaka's starting, maybe can you play him in a more of a defensive midfield position rather than a box-to-box with Sambi and go more of a traditional 4-2-3-1, which I think would look okay. And you sort of, you could have Sambi and Xhaka um, with, I guess, one of Smith, Rowe, Vieira or Trossard playing as the 10. And then I, I guess you are probably Smith, Rowe, I think, or tr- probably Trossard, actually, if I think about it. Then Smith, Rowe on the left, Vieira on the right. And then again, up top, there's no options. It's got to really be in Ketia because, well, we, we don't have another striker. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, even in the academy, no. I can't think of a player start. So I, I I guess that is the team. And then you've got a lot of strength on the bench. You'd have Erdegaard and Zinchenko and Saka and Martinelli and White and Saliba, Gabriel. I To there. be honest, I'd largely agree with that. I think I'd definitely play Matt Turner. I'd be surprised if Turner didn't play. I wouldn't be surprised maybe if Ben White starts just because he only had 45 minutes against Manchester United and kind of to get that performance out of his system. I don't know if Kivior will get thrown straight in. I mean, maybe he will, but I think there's not better opportunity really to chuck him in than no, this. No. It's a cup competition. So it's really about getting minutes into players who you want to be able to contribute for the rest of the season. And quickly, just to ask you a question, if Ben White starts, would you start Tommy Asu at left back? I would personally, ahead of Tierney. Yeah. Um, I just don't think I maybe I would, but I don't see it happening. I think Tierney definitely starts because you kind of have to. I think maybe you play Tommy Yasu left centre back. He has played there for Japan, but I think Arteta's prefers to have that kind of right back rotation. I think our defenders who will start on the day will be White, Tommy Yasu, Tierney, and then one of Gabriel, Saliba, or maybe Kivyord. Not holding. Okay. Actually, yeah, I've forgot about holding. I think, yeah, probably holding plays. So I think he'll try and rotate that back line. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them stay in there. So yeah, I'll go back line of Tommy Asu, Ben White, Holding and Tierney. But then I think you're changing quite a lot. And we know that Arteta doesn't like to change too many pieces in the in the puzzle. God, I have no idea who's going to start at the back. Then I think... If you play Sambi, I think then you probably play Xhaka and Erdegaard. And I think mm. if you want to rest Partey, then I think that's what will happen. I think then you bring on Partey for the last 30 minutes for a bit of match sharpness, as has happened in the Europa League previously. But I don't think you start Thomas Partey. So I'd go Sambi, Xhaka and Erdegaard. Then up front, I think you go Vieira and maybe you start Trossard in that kind of striker position, which he's been playing quite a lot for for uh, Brighton and then Smith-Rowe. But again, that's me kind of thinking in uh, almost FIFA 23 manager mode mindset where you want to rest the players. But actually, Arteta, I don't think, will change that much because there are weeks in between the games. I think we'll be surprised by actually maybe how there's less rotation. But then he's got to balance that with needing to give minutes to players who you want to be able to contribute for the rest of the season. <laughs> it's a really tough one. It's so tough I really... because of also because of the opposition. If this was a League Two or League oh, One, oh yeah, then it'd be completely rotated side. 
it's a really, really easy game to manage. But because it's City, it, it is it does make selection really tough. Because I do think, as you sort of mentioned, the psychological factor of, well, we can't go here and get beat 3-0 because who knows? I mean, we, ca- we can if it's a heavily rotated side, but, you know, you don't really want that to happen. You want to be able to compete. And I think... But 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 then by the same token, imagine if you're playing this game and then you start Thomas Partey and then he pulls his, pulls up with a thigh injury and then you're just like oh my god. So it's a really hard one to manage. And of course, Arteta and his his medical staff will have everything well thought out in terms of what minutes people need to play and who needs to to have less minutes and who needs a bit of a rest. So I think look, if yeah. if we if we're going to conclude that conversation, I think we will see a decent amount of rotation, but I think maybe l- maximum will probably be half of the team would change. I think we'd be surprised yeah. actually by maybe how many people will, will stay in. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I would say there are definitely for me four players that have to be rested. Uh, Saka, Party, Gabriel and Zinchenko. I think mm. those four absolutely cannot start the game just because and and you probably also had Erdogan to that although I think he's slightly more durable but those four or five just can't be risked it's an FA Cup game at the end of the day we Mm. love the FA Cup I love the FA Cup as much as anyone it's part of our DNA as a club but you know we we really get we've got an opportunity to win the league here we've got to focus on that Uh, um I mean, it's too early to start talking about the double, I guess. But you know, <laughs> I think as you, as you're saying that, what I'm thinking is, this is a. I know it's Man City, so you start with some players who aren't who who would have played against United and will play against uh, Everton, but you need to give starts and minutes, significant number of minutes to players that are going to contribute for the rest of the season who you might need. So you need to give minutes to. Kieran Tierney, because there might be an injury to Zinchenko and Tomiyasu. You need to give minutes to Trossard because he is the rotation option up front. You need to build up some minutes for Smith-Rowe. Whether he's ready to start against Man City, I'm not sure. He has been training now, so maybe he could do a half or an hour. I think Fabio Vieira as well, you want to see him get some minutes and and see that he's a player who you can count on if, for example, Erdegaard picks up a knock or something like that. And, I mean, yeah, Lukonga as well, because I wouldn't be surprised if Elneny's injury turns out to be more serious. We we bring in a, a midfield body as, as a stopgap, maybe on loan until the end of the season. But you need Lukonga, at least in the short term, short term, to know that he can fill in for Thomas Partey. And I think, look, he I know it was at home, but I, th- I remember him doing quite well earlier in the season when he had Xhaka and Erdegaard with him and playing a bit deeper. I think he just needs a bit more help. So I'm very excited to see how we line up. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating. And Man City too as well. Look, we'll see what happens there. I would obviously love to win the game, but I'm not going to be too upset if we lose it because we have other priorities this season. Then just quickly, the next league game is Everton away. By that point, they'll probably have a new manager all that new manager bounce, but I don't even know if that's possible given what you alluded to earlier, the kind of mess that they find themselves in. It's all it's quite sad, isn't it? And um, But we've got a score to settle because we lost there last season 
after they'd lost something like seven in a row and then they beat us. So we will not be doing that this year. That's for sure. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not. And, and you know, there are some clubs that you just don't like and Everton are one of those clubs for me. I, mm. you know, I, I don't like to root for a club to do badly or to go down, but <laughs> if I could choose a club to go down in the relegation battle... I would be choosing Everton. You choose Everton. Like Interesting. Everton. I like a Wobi. Um, yeah, of course. Mainly because he, he bought us in thirty-five million, which it's never was worth. Never was worth. But that. he's had a decent season, to be fair to him. As and I think Amadou Anana is a very good player, and if we could sign him at a cut price, I would be happy with that. Um, but yeah, we gotta we gotta be ruthless. There, we, there's revenge. Revenge is very much. On the on the cards, yeah, and we've when we've seen that we've done well actually when there's been a kind of revenge complex this season, and then finally, we've got I think it's just less than a week of the January transfer window left. As we mentioned before, Cedric Suarez going out on loan to Fulham for six months, no option to buy, but that's a hundred grand off the wage bill, which is quite nice. El Neni, if he's injured, which you seem to suggest that he might be for a while. I need to watch Mikel Arteta's press conference now. Um, it looks like maybe we look for a central midfielder on a short-term basis. Uh, I don't think we'd sign a, a, a player for a substantial fee unless something crazy comes up because I think we all know what the plan is in the summer. And then looks like we are in the battle to sign the young Spanish right-back. I think it's... Renesta from Real Valladolid, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but he'd spend the rest of the season maybe back there on loan, but perhaps a player for the future. Is there anything else that you can tell us um, with your transfer guru hat on? No, I, I think I think we've unless something sort of comes out of the blue, um, that that sounds like where we're at. I mean, the Fresneda one. Is interesting. I mean, he's very highly rated by all accounts. I think whenever Dortmund are in for a young player, as as they were with Kivior, it's it's usually a good sign. Uh, I know Newcastle also were very keen on uh, Flesneda. They're going to spend all their uh, money on Anthony Gordon instead. Yeah, ridiculous signing. I mean, he's just not a very good footballer. But anyway, they they could. It's actually good. They can waste a bit. Of yeah, no, I'd be pleased with that. They, you know, they look like. Eddie Howe's turning players who I thought were very average into into world beaters up up north. So maybe the less said about that, the better. Um, but yeah, I think if we could get Fresneda over the line, it's just squ- logical squad building as well. It's sort of like, even if he ends up being very average, there's always going to be a market for him. Mm. And yeah, we spoke about Cedric, and like we sort of did this at left back. Kalasnich went out, who was he was a fine professional. He's you know he's not technically great, but he's still playing for Marseille in the Champions League. In came Nuno Tavares, who is t- like ten years younger, and um, and just means like the likelihood is if Tavares doesn't break in, the fee we'll get for him is significant more than what exists for Klasnich with the market. And so I think this is the same. Cedric is obviously going to go um, on loan and then permanently in the summer. And Fresneda will come in. And whether he actually breaks through or not, 
isn't isn't necessarily the issue. It's just it's just squad building. So yeah, one to watch. I'm not expecting anything massive from the end of the window though, but it's always exciting. Yeah, and look, we we've done our business already. I think we've bolstered the squad. We yeah. brought in quality up front with Leandro Trossard, good depth with Jacob Kivior, um, who's a long-term prospect signing, but also can back Gabriel for the rest of the season on that left-hand side of the centre-back pairing. Um, and yeah, maybe the last thing will be the last two things will be the right, the young right back, and maybe a short-term solution for some central midfield cover. But let's leave it there for today. We've had an excellent discussion, basked in Arsenal's 3-2 victory over Manchester United. So it was an incredibly enjoyable conversation to have with you, Johnny. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Looking forward to uh, to City on Friday and then Everton in the Premier League. Absolutely. Quick reminder that you can find all episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to all the good stuff but thank you listener for listening hopefully enjoying and supporting the team the club the everything that's going on at the moment and that includes this podcast we've all got our place in this season's excellence until next time take it easy goodbye